Amen. All right. Thankful that Jesus paid the price, aren't you? Gives us hope. Gives us hope for tomorrow. Gives us hope for life after this one. Just gives us hope. That's what it's all about. That's what Easter is all about. That's what this day we celebrate is all about. The hope, the resurrection, the hope. Now, now listen, when I say hope, just so you know this, when we say hope, we're not talking about crossing our fingers and well wishes and good vibes here, all right? I don't even know what that is anyway. When people say, send well wishes and good vibes my way, I don't know what that is, all right? Uh, sometimes when they say that, what I want to do is say, googly, 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 you know, I want to do that, but that's not exactly right either. But when we say we have great hope, we say we have a great assurity, we have a great promise that we can put our very feet upon and really, listen, hang our very souls upon the hope of what Jesus has done for you and for me. There is death, burial, and yes, resurrection. I'm thankful for the hope, the surety, the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have hope in. That's what we have victory in. It's all in, all in the Lord. And I'm thankful for that hope. You know, I look forward to this, this Sunday every year. And just, just so you know, I look forward to every Sunday, all right? And uh, we are open from, from Easter uh, and, and beyond. Just so you know that, all right? I look forward to every Sunday. But this one in particular, I really do. I look forward to Easter, Easter Sunday. I look forward to it because it's this time of year that many people's minds begin to uh, point heavenward, begin to think of eternal things. Uh, their minds begin to think about the Lord. They begin to think what Jesus did and His death and burial. And of course, think about Him rising from the dead and think about the resurrection of our Savior, of a Savior who is Alive. In case you don't know, we have a risen Savior. We have a God who is alive. Our Lord is not dead. He lives and lives forevermore. And because He lives, you and I will live also. And if you will know Christ as your Savior, you will live forever in the presence of God in a place called heaven. I'm thankful we have a risen Savior. I'm thankful. But as I think on this day, some nearly 2,000 years ago, I, I think, what would, have, what would it have been like? What would it have been like be, to be there that first, if I can say it this way, Easter morning, that first resurrection Sunday? I wonder what it would really be like. No doubt it would have been absolutely amazing. I've often thought what that day would have been, would have been like and how would I have responded. How have I, would, have, would I have responded on that day? You know, listen, in Mark chapter 16 is where we'll be in just a moment. But in Mark chapter 16, there were several different responses from several different people. You see, on that day, there were ladies who were bringing spices to the grave to show honor and great respect uh, to his grave, to the, the grave of the Lord and to, of course, his body. Uh, but there were still people on that day responding with great sorrow as they were mourning the loss of their friend, of their master, of their Savior. Uh, they were still sad over the news of his, of his death. The disciples themselves, they were still hiding for fear of the Jews. That was their response. They were terrified, fearing that what happened to Jesus could very well happen, happen to them. But after the news of the resurrection, there were uh, others who responded this way. Mary, of course, she was absolutely elated when she knew it was Jesus had risen from the grave and wanted to embrace him. Kind of, in my mind, I picture, I uh, wanted to give him a big old bear hug, you know. 
And then after news came to Peter and John, there was a foot race. And John made sure to put it in his gospel record that he beat Peter, all right? And I think that might have snubbed Peter a little bit, but anyway. But there's a foot race. Came to see. He's not there. His body's gone. I got to go see this. They were excited. They were excited as well. But did you know the vast majority, the response of the vast majority of people, at the news that Jesus had resurrected was not one of excitement, was not one of, man, i got to run down there and race down there to see this. It wasn't that type of response. Really, it was this. Listen, they couldn't believe it, and they didn't. Many of the disciples did not believe that Jesus was alive. Even after they heard the eyewitness testimony from the ladies and later on from the two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, they could not believe what they had heard. Even Luke said it this way. The Bible says in Luke 24, 11, after they heard the words of the ladies that told that Jesus was alive, they said, the Bible says this, And their words seemed to them, to the disciples, as idle tales, and they believed them not. Idle tales meaning it just seemed like nonsense. This old news of the resurrected Savior just seemed like nonsense to them. And they thought that's exactly what it was. It's just, there's just no way that could happen. But how in the world and why in the world would they respond with such an uh, such a, a unbelief or such faithlessness from these, from these disciples? See, and they experienced so much with Jesus themselves. I mean, think about it. Even last Sunday, we looked at this triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem at the time of Passover. And the people were, were crying out, Hosanna, uh, blessed is the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Remember that? Uh, they were there. They were part of it. So they got to see how people responded to the Lord, got to see the excitement that people had. Now, we know their excitement was not one for a, a, a king who's going to give his life for the ransom of many, but rather they wanted a king to, to help them overthrow the Roman oppression, right? But nonetheless, they saw the excitement. They saw what was going on, triumphal entry. Uh, they took part, of course, in the Last Supper when Jesus even told them what that was all about. He said, look, this bread is my body going to be broken for you. This is my blood. This wine represents the blood that's shed for you because I'm going to give my life a ransom. Uh, my blood is going to be for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, they were there. They heard all this at the Last Supper. They knew what was going on. And then after that, they even went to the garden to pray with the Lord Jesus. And, and it was there. They fell asleep. And a good Baptist they were, right? But anyway, <laughs> fell asleep and they should have been praying with the Lord. All this is going on. They heard Jesus pray, spent time with him. They were there when they came to arrest the Lord. And 600 Roman soldiers came with that betrayer Judas. And they saw with but a phrase, all 600 of those men fall flat on their face when they came saying, uh, when Jesus said, who you seek ye? And he said, they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am he. And they all fell flat on their face. They saw that. They witnessed that. They saw him be arrested. They saw him be beaten with the cat of nine tails to shed his blood again and his wounds to be, uh, be beaten for us. Of course, they were there at the crucifixion where Jesus was brutally tortured and humiliated and the agony that filled all of that. No doubt the disciples, their hearts were filled with despair with all of that as well. But they saw that and experienced it. 
Now they knew their friend Joseph of Arimathea craved the body of Jesus and put him in, put him in a borrowed tomb there and a large stone rolled upon it. They knew all of this. Maybe they thought this was it. Maybe they thought that was all. But listen, a few days later, they got news. They got news from the women who came with spices to the grave and found the stone was rolled away. And they went to see the body themselves and found no body there. And they were fearful but yet excited that he is risen and not here. And as excitement filled their hearts, they told, told the others. But listen to what the Bible says. Their response was in Mark chapter 16. Look at it with me. And we'll read the first 16 verses. All right, The Bible says this. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll away us the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering to the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he saith to them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. And they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them, that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, look at these next two words, verse 11, the last two words, believe not. After he appeared in another form unto two of them, as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he, that's Jesus, appeared unto eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because... They believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But did you catch the phrase that he said, the Bible says for us several times, where it says, They believe not, neither believe they them, their unbelief and hardness of heart. Look, these phrases were said not just about anybody. They were said about the mighty apostles and disciples whom we read in Scripture and have come, come to know and, and love. But again, it doesn't seem right. These men seen all these things that have taken place and have walked with Jesus for three years and seen the Lord do such great and mighty things, saw the numerous miracles of the Lord, some 35 or more miracles that at least recorded for us that, that Jesus did. And of course, we know He did more than that. John told us that, but... They were with him, and all these things took place, and they saw this. They even saw Jesus raise, on three different occasions, people from the dead. So why is it so hard for them to believe that Jesus himself could rise from the dead? But in this moment, that's their response. And I often wonder, would I have been one of those 11, the residue, as the Bible says, that's in the upper room? Would I have been one of the 11 of unbelief? I hear what you're saying, the, the disciples on the master. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, Mary. But those, those words just, just seem like idle tales to me. It just seems like nonsense. How could that possibly be? I wonder if I responded the same way. I don't know. 
And you don't know either. Why? Because, well, you weren't there then. <laughs> but I do know this. As I've thought of these men and their response and, and unbelief and those kind of things, I do know this. There's people today that have the same response. And maybe you're here this morning. And you've come because somebody invited you to church, friend, family. Maybe you got one of those flyers we sent out. I don't know. But you've come to church and want to see what it's all about. Why, why do we get excited knowing we have a living Savior? Why are these Christians singing about a risen Lord? Why is it? What is this all about? It's not about a bunny, just so y'all know about that, all right? It's not what Easter's about. What's all this about? Why are they excited about all of this? I mean, the things they're saying, it kind of seems like nonsense. Maybe somebody watching thinking that. Maybe some, somebody later down the road be listening to this on the radio thinking that. It seems like nonsense. I mean, come on, a man. Rising from the dead? Really? Seems like idle tales to me. So what I'd like to do this morning quickly is give you three proofs for a resurrected Savior. And hopefully these three proofs of a resurrected Savior will convince you to know that our God is not dead, but is alive forevermore. And listen, as they convince you to know that Jesus is alive, that gives you a responsibility to respond to the truth. Because if he's alive, and by the way, he is, then you must respond to him. And the only response that you need to know and, and respond to him if you don't know Jesus is to accept him as your Savior, to call upon Christ to save you, because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the only response, the real response. Logical response, knowing that he's alive, that we must give. Calling upon Christ to save. So let's look at three proofs this morning of a resurrected Savior. Proof number one. Number one, we know there's a resurrected Savior because there is an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. I want you to know there is a physical, real, empty grave in Jerusalem today. All right? Many have gone there. Many have seen it. I have not gone there. Maybe one day, uh, maybe one day we can take a trip and go there. But, but I have not been there to see it, but many have. And if you used to go to many other graves today, you know what you'll find in those grave plots and grave sites? You'll find bones. If you go to the grave of other religious leaders, you'll find in those graves bones. If you go to the grave of Muhammad, you're going to find bones. You go to the grave of Buddha, you're going to find bones. You go to the grave of Confucius or any other religious leader, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find remains. You're going to find bones. But when you go to the sepulcher, go to the grave site of Jesus, you know what you will find? Nothing. <laughs> you will not find any remains. You will not find his bones. You will not find them there. Why? Because he is Risen. Luke chapter 24, 1 through 7. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices with which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth and said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. 
Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Listen, these angels in this moment in Luke chapter 24 said, He is not here. His body is not here. Why? He is risen. Jesus is alive. And when we worship our God, our Savior, our Lord, we do not worship a dead God, but a living one. All right, don't make me break out the sign. I will, okay? We serve a risen Savior. He's alive today. His body's not there. There is an empty tomb. Now, the skeptic would say today, yeah, but you know, that resurrection you're talking about, well, that was just a ploy of the disciples, was it not? I mean, they were the ones that took his body out of the tomb. Surely it was just a ploy, a hoax, if you will, to make up uh, of this resurrection. Surely that's what that's all about. That's what a skeptic would think. And a critic would say, but that would not be the first time it's ever been said or even thought of. That somebody took his body. That's why his bones are not there. That's why there's no remains. That wouldn't be the first time ever, ever somebody ever came up with that. Listen to what the Bible says. Even the Pharisees said it in Matthew 27, 64. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day. And that kind of tells me these Pharisees have been listening, by the way, to what Jesus said. But anyway, they said, uh, uh, keep it, make it sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. But, but how sure, when they were saying make the, 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 the grave sure, how sure were they trying to make the tomb that day? You see, the Bible teaches that after they crucified Jesus, they took his body off the cross and placed it into a solid rock tomb. So the graves they had over there is not necessarily like we have here on the property. It was more in the side of a cliff, in the side of a rock, all right, in the side of a mountain. Uh, that's where they put his, his body. And as they would bury the body, they wouldn't put dirt over it. Rather, they would roll a stone in front of the tomb. It's estimated to think that this stone weighed some two tons rolled in front of that tomb. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 57 through 60, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate, begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his new, own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone at the door of the sepulcher, and departed. Nobody could have moved this tomb, this, this, this stone rather. These ladies could not have done that. There's no one that could have moved a two-ton stone on their own. He made sure it was closed up. And then another way they made sure was this. The Roman soldier would stand guard on the outside, meaning the Roman seal. That's what that was. The Roman soldiers would stand to uh, uh, secure the tomb. They were assigned. This was their, this was their duty. No one dare come against the Roman Soldiers, and it's estimated some 16 Roman soldiers would have stood outside that tomb after he was buried. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 62 through 66, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as ye can. So they went 
made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. The watch is not what's on your wrist. No, this has been a Roman watch. 16 Roman soldiers guarding this tomb. And anyone, anyone who happened, who happened to make it past the soldiers would never do that. Never break the seal. Would never try to get past them. Why? Because they would incur the wrath of the Roman Empire themselves. And you did not want that upon you. You know what they would do? Well, same they did to Jesus. They would crucify you. Inflict much pain. And brutally execute you. So no one would dare do such a thing to steal the body away at this moment. But... In spite of all the sheer precautions of the stone and the soldiers and the Roman seal, this tomb on that first resurrection Sunday was still empty. No soldier was going to hold him down. No stone was going to keep him in. No grave was going to hold him. And no seal of any leader, no matter how powerful their name was, was dare going to keep him in. Why? Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why no matter how powerful Rome was, no matter how powerful Pilate thought he might have been, no matter how good and how, how religious the, the Pharisees might have thought they had done, uh, no matter of all of that, Jesus was not going to be kept in the tomb. He was not going to be kept in the grave. His body was not taken away. And listen, for a critic to believe that the disciples were able to pull off the greatest heist in all of human history those critics would have to have more faith in those fearful believers than those believers had in themselves because they were scared to death and hiding. There's no way they could have went down and stolen the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sure, critics, they want to keep saying that, oh, it was just taken away, somebody did it. No, no, no. You wouldn't dare try to go take the body away at this moment. Disciples wouldn't dare. They were too scared. They were shut in at the upper room. Their doors were shut where the disciples assembled together for fear of the Jews. They wouldn't dare come out from hiding for fear that they themselves would be next. So please know Jesus was not taken, stolen from a tomb or a grave by the disciples or anybody else. No, no, no. He got up of his own power. Why? He's God. He's Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the great I am. He's Alpha and Omega. He is the Almighty. Nobody's going to hold Him down. I promise you. The tomb is empty. And it wasn't because somebody took it. It's because He got up of His own power. Remember what He said to His disciples? He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own power. Since I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it again. And He did just that. The tomb is empty. That's why we know. As we celebrate Easter, as Resurrection Sunday, that's how we know we have a living Savior. There's nobody in that grave. He's alive. Then number two, not only because of the tomb, number two, the testimony. The testimony of the eyewitnesses. Now listen. At this moment, there were a number of eyewitnesses this day and, of course, many days following, 40 days to be uh, be exact, 40 days that physically saw Jesus with their own eyes. And listen, when they talked to others about Jesus, they didn't say, hey, look, I want to tell you something about Jesus. Man, I, I went down the tomb and found an empty tomb. Did you know that? I saw the tomb with my own eyes. 
That's not what they said. Every time they talked to somebody else and being a witness to somebody else, they would always say this. We have seen him. (laughs) They saw him. The many eyewitnesses saw them with their very own eyes. And the first person to see Jesus alive, according to our, uh, this context, is uh, Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, verse 10 through 18. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see the two angels in white sitting, the one on the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto, the, unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. And say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told disciples that she, here it is, had seen the Lord. And that she had spoken, he had spoken these things unto her. She was the very first one to see the resurrected Savior with her own eyes. The second were to see him alive, according to this context, was the disciples. They were walking down the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 34. I encourage you to read that for yourself and be blessed and encouraged. As the Bible even talks about them, as they walked the Emmaus Road, Jesus began to preach of himself, starting from the Old Testament, going all the way up into the crucifixion, <laughs> revealing himself through Scripture to these disciples. It had been amazing to be part of that walk with the Lord. And even said this, did not our heart burn within us as he talked of himself from the scripture? Our hearts burn within us. It's amazing to think. It's interesting though that the first ones to see him alive were the last ones to see him before he died. We kind of honor the faithfulness. It's very interesting you think about it and study it out. But, But these eyewitnesses, As they came and told other people about Jesus, they said, we have seen him. I have seen him with my own eyes. And not only did these first disciples see Jesus after the resurrection, but listen, more than 500 witnesses at one time, I'm sorry, on 12 different occasions, over a period of 40 days, saw him. And the Bible says about those eyewitnesses, Acts 1 verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That word infallible proofs there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it it, it means this. These proofs, proofs, these proofs are not able to be denied. Meaning they're they're infallible, meaning they're not incapable of being wrong. Not capable of being wrong. They're true. They're true. And listen, if you were in, in a court system, you had a court case, to mark down your case and to win your case, you know what you really need? Besides the truth, you need a good witness or two. If you get a good couple witnesses on your side, it's kind of a, a closed case there, really. But how would you like to have over 500 on your side? You would believe that's an open and closed case, right? Absolutely. All these people saw Jesus alive. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He was not trying to hide anything. 
He was not trying to hide himself. He wanted everybody to see him, everybody to know. And that's why he even told his disciples to go and preach the gospel to every creature. He wants everybody to know that he is alive. He's alive. I hope you know that. And not just historically, but you know that personally because you have trusted Christ as your Savior. He's alive. Well, he's alive, we know, because of the empty tomb. He's alive, we know, because of the eyewitnesses. An eyewitness testimony. We know he's alive, number three, and lastly, because of this. The transformation of people's lives today. <laughs> this is what I really wanted to get to. And if you'll permit me to have a little time, just a little time, who'll give me five minutes? Anybody give me five minutes? There's at least ten of you that raise your hand. That makes fifty. All right. <laughs> just kidding. But this is where we want to get to this, this morning. The transformation of people's lives is undeniable. And only a living Savior can do that. You know, I may never get to go and see an empty tomb in Israel. I'd like to. I would love to go over to Israel one day and, and see the Holy Land. And as one preacher told me, he said, listen, as you read your Bible, you see, you see the Scripture in black and white. But when you go over to Israel, you'll begin to read it in living color. I'd love to go one day. But I may never, not, I may never get to go, and that's okay because, well, that involves flying. And as most of you know, it's not my favorite thing in the world. All right? Jesus said, lo, I'll be with you always. Amen. I take that literal. Okay. But I'd love to go one day. Maybe after a lot of anesthesia or something, put me out, I'll go on that plane. But, but I may never get to go see an empty tomb. I know uh, I, I can't be one of those disciples or what, whoever those witnesses were on that day to see him alive because, well, wasn't, wasn't there. But do you know what I have gotten to experience me a part of? Lives of people changed and transformed i'm talking real stuff i'm not talking about i need to do better i'm not talking about turning over a new leaf and turning a new page i'm not talking about none of that i'm talking about people who who were just drug addicts and they've come to christ and jesus has set them free and made them clean they serve god and love the lord who can do that a living savior can this pastor can't you can't, but God can. People who are absolute drunks, I'm talking about that's all they can live by. The only way they can function is if they drink, but yet they come to Jesus, get set free from this mess. Their lives are changed and transformed. But who can do that? Is it because you, get a, you set up a three-step three, uh, program, Pastor? No, no. It's because they know that God is real and that He is alive and they call upon Him to save Him. And God changes their life and transforms them from the inside out. It's amazing. It's amazing to see even parents who come to know Jesus as their Savior and maybe they were not the best of parents that they could be, but after they come to know Christ, they become a, a haven of rest to their children and a new home. It's amazing to see all of that. I'm telling you, it's amazing. All I'm trying to tell you this morning is this. These people that, that I'm thinking of, 
And you may know some as well. You will never convince them. Not one time will you ever convince them that Jesus is not real. Especially if you've known who they were before. Jesus is real. And I've seen it over and over and over because of the changed lives of individuals and people have praiseworthy testimony of that very thing in their life and they will never, ever forget it. But as I think of lives changed, my mind always goes to Scripture as a great illustration because these are given. Why? The Scripture is given to us for instruction, for correction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished and all good works, right? It gives us a great illustration of how Jesus changed people's lives. You can see so many in Scripture. The maniac of Gadara in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And nobody could tame him. Nobody could chain him. The police couldn't arrest him. He was a lunatic, crazy man. But after he had an encounter with Jesus, the Bible says he was closed and sitting in his right mind. Jesus changed his life. You'll never convince that man he's not real. And Mary Magdalene, even in our text, we read about her. The Bible says that she had, a, had, a, had devils in her. I believe it was seven devils. Jesus cast out seven devils out of her. So her life before she came to Christ was absolutely dark, satanic, demonic, devilish, sin-crazed, wicked, and just full of sin. But when she had an encounter with Christ, it changed her life forever. And you'll never convince Mary Magdalene that he is not not real. And of course, as Scripture tells us of the chief of sinners, the man himself, Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, after he came to Christ, had an encounter with the Lord, after he believed on the Lord, listen, his life was radically changed forever. Uh, a man who persecuted the church, a man who the Bible says made havoc of the church, met the Lord on the road to Damascus, his life was changed forever. His life was, was so uh, marked by, by hatred for, for Christ and marked by hatred for, for the church. That's what the disciples knew him as. And when Paul wanted to join himself to the church there in Jerusalem, they were scared to death. Like, no, no, no. We know this is a trick. We know who you really are. But the Bible says that Barnabas took him and told how he declared, he declared to the people of Lord Jesus Christ how God had changed his life. They're amazed by it all. And so I promise you, you cannot tell and will not be able to tell Paul that Jesus is not real. His life was changed forever. What I'm trying to tell you, the lives of people even today in 2023 are still being changed by the power of the gospel. The gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, what is that? It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that, here it is, here's the gospel. He's making it as plain and as simple as he possibly can on, with black letters on white paper. He says this. How that first of all, that which also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, 
And after that he was seen above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep, many some have died. And after that he was seen of James, then all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. He was talking about himself, how he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's the gospel. That our Savior died for us, was buried for us, but rose again for us to give us life, life more abundant. But my question to you today is this, do you have that life? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I know there's people that still will be in disbelief that He is alive today. But I promise you, you can't get over an empty tomb. You can't get over the eyewitness testimonies of all these people. And you cannot deny, and you cannot get over the lives of people who have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. So I wonder, do you know Him? I wonder, do you believe that He's alive? I wonder, are you saved this morning? It will be a great day for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this Easter Sunday in 2023 and call upon Him to save you. You can do that. And He will save you. He will save you. When I trusted the Lord, I didn't know all the ins and outs of theology. I didn't know all the exact things to say or know. I just knew this. I knew that I was lost. I knew that I was a sinner and deserved the punishment in hell. I did. But I heard of a living Savior who would save me. So I'd call upon Him to do just that. And so I did. I called upon Christ to save me. I didn't know exact words to pray. I don't think there are exact words to pray. I just simply said, oh Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Save me. And guess what? He did. <laughs> he did. Many of you have the same testimony Seeing yourself needing the Lord, seeing yourself as a sinner, and knowing Jesus as a Savior, and you call upon Him to save you by faith. By faith. You see, our salvation is not found in church, not found in church membership, it's not found in baptism. Our salvation is found in Christ and Him alone. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is all by grace. It's all by grace, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you're still, you're on the fence. Is this really, what is this all about? I mean, is he really alive today? Well, listen, I hope these proofs point to that fact that he is, that he is alive today. And because he is alive today, you have a responsibility to respond to that truth. But have you? Have you? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? If not, do not leave here until you get that settled this morning.